The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is sponsored by Mega Bean, the new man-made bean from Mitchell's. If it's not Mitchell's, get back in the truck. The Mega Bean is the world's first entirely man-made edible organism and is made by blending the DNA of cannellini beans, cave-dwelling fungus, and prehistoric dogs. To order a free introductory palette of Mega Beans, whisper into an empty shell, it's time. And welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved, or just interested, in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and printed magazine, brought to you by Mitchell's Mega Bean. We've had a bit of pushback from some network members about our relationship with the Mega Bean project. The use of DNA blending to create the bean has garnered criticism from various quarters, but we've believed in it since the start. We actually provided some investment in the early stages of the process, back when the experiments being carried out at Mitchell's HQ in Kentucky weren't leading to the huge bean that they were aiming for, and instead were creating sentient mushrooms, terrifying blind angry dogs, and on one occasion, a liquid that could somehow scream. Thankfully, that's now all in the past and we can all enjoy the benefits that come from a commercially available man-made bean that's three feet tall and as heavy as a canoe. So, this week I attended the annual Ken Bicton Memorial Pig Run and notable by his absence was TV bovine arse vet Bob Truscothic, who was usually the resident vet for the event. A bit of digging threw up some very tasty rumours about why Bob wasn't there and so I asked Bob to come in and talk to me. Bob Scothic, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks um, for having me. Yep. Sorry it's not happier circumstances for you, something we'll, we'll go into a little later. Mm-hmm. I was um, this weekend at the annual Ken Bicton Memorial Pig Run ah. um, up in East Shropshire. Yeah. For listeners who, who, who aren't aware of it, it's uh, an annual pig run. People drive their pigs through the streets of the town, yeah. through flaming hoops, over mm-hmm. bodies of water, uh, that yeah. sort of thing. Tiny barrels, smaller yeah. and smaller barrels. Yeah. It's one of the few non- cow events I'll go to in the year because I think despite the fact that it's um, mainly using pigs which it's a poor man's cow everyone knows that yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's still a great event and also you know just to pay my respects to Ken Bicton he was a great man yeah you know very sadly trampled by out of control pigs yeah and it's lovely that they memorialise that every year I think it's very moving for his family you know he still has surviving grandchildren now some of whom even, even witnessed the original event hmm. yeah very moving very moving sight Apparently, from the beginning, 10 years ago, when Ken Bicton sadly died, yeah. the idea was that at the end of the pig run, the pigs would knock over a huge marble Ken Bicton yeah. and then trample all over him yeah. in a kind of reenactment of uh, of that sad moment. But they've had to spend 10 years raising the money to, to make that. It's made out of Italian marble. It's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Oh, well, yeah. Huge colossus. Great things, yeah. Um, of course, now smashed into bits once the pigs pushed it over. But more than worth it. Yeah. More absolutely. than worth it. And obviously in, in previous years they've they've just used sort of the, the, the substitute effigy, haven't they? I think last year it was the uh, what was his name? Mr. Ramsey, I think the, the primary school headmaster was uh, dressed up as Ken and uh, he hurtled down the streets and uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Well the of course because this year it was actually the annual Ken Bicton and Mr. Ramsey memorial uh, pig well, run yeah, after what happened. Yeah, last well, year. I mean it was a spectacular ending last year. Yeah. And um you know, good, good for him. He really went for it. Uh, reenacted it very accurately. Yes, indeed. But the reason you're here at least is to explain 
there were many people there who I met who said they were looking forward to seeing you there because, of course, for the last few years, you've been the resident vet at the mm-hmm. Big Run. Yep. It is important, of course, they have a, a vet there. Well, there's got to be someone there who can, you know, put the pigs down efficiently and quickly uh, as soon as the race is over. Um, I gather that uh, Jamie McKinnery and his sons, the butchers up there, stepped in at the last minute and um, and did a terrific job from what I gather. Uh, it, it wasn't as... As, as efficient as, as when you were doing it? No, no. But there's more produce, isn't there? I mean, I just, uh, you know, when, when I've been, you know, everyone's had a great time. And there's just a big old pile of carcasses, aren't there, that we have to sort of bury in the pond. And uh, But, uh, yeah, I think they're, I mean, they'll, they'll be eating hog baps uh, for weeks to come. Strange that they would Im- employ you up there because, of course, you are known throughout the country as, a, as one of the country's leading cow arse vets. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, but you don't, you know, you, you keep your hand in with the general stuff. Um, you know, you, you try and keep up to date, and uh, it's good now and again to to deal with other animals. But yeah, I, I, yeah, that's what I'm known for. That's that's my passion is uh, bovine asses. How different is a pig's ass from a from a cow's ass? A pig's ass is 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 a very transactional ass. Uh, a pig will not particularly take such good care of its ass. A uh, pig will not use its ass uh, in any sort of ritualistic or social behaviours as opposed to a cow, which of course will parade its ass, will display its ass. They're very uh, proud of their asses. They're very proud of their asses. They'll often use their asses to recognise each other. And from the, the smallest shifts in local hormones and swellings uh, and decorations that they do with mud and, and faeces, that you can learn a lot about their mood. And that's you know, very unusual. You know, in humans, you know, we... We very, very rarely use our ourselves to express ourselves. Uh, very small children will do it just to seek attention. Adults, not really, uh, unless they're very, very angry. Uh, but a cow will, if you know how to read an arsehole, um, it's an open book. And a, and a pig's arsehole then is just uh, much more simple. It's really, operation. just yeah, it's just it's just about the, the passage of of waste and and that's it and the irony is that I mean that is a waste of a of what could be a very expressive it's a wasteful animal I think the pigs waste what they've got people say pigs are clever I think they're idle and selfish people in the past have, have called into question your suitableness to be the resident vet there at the annual mm. pig run given that your views on pigs are well known you don't seem to have much love for the animal no but people I... were people were saying that you were taking quite a lot of pleasure, one might say, from putting down the thousands or so pigs that are involved in the pig run? I would, well, yes, I mean, I do, but I'm only flesh and blood, right? And I think anyone would, any right-thinking person would take pleasure in uh, in putting down upwards of a thousand pigs um, over the course of a 35-minute period, which I think is my record. Um, but I, lo- I loved Ken, Ken Bicton, and I've got a lot of friends up there. Um, so, I, you know, I accept the invitation. Of course I do. Well, I was up there, as I say, th- this weekend, um, you you were missed. People were saying, you know, where's Bob Truscothic? He's yeah. part of the furniture now. He's part of the pig run. You know, he's not there at the beginning to sound the klaxon to get the pigs yeah. going. He's not there to fire the weapons at the pigs to, to speed them up. Mm. He's not there to put down the slick oils to, to make the pigs skitter about. Very, very funny. That was my idea. Yeah, actually, well, yeah. well, they didn't do it this year because you weren't no. there. And oh. pe- people were saying, where's where's Bob? Where's Bob? And then rumours started to surface about about why you weren't there. And that's why I've got you on the show, really, because I want you to, to clear up okay. some of the rumours that were going around. Now, the, the main thrust of the rumours, really, if you boil them down, is that the reason that you weren't there as the the vet on call uh, was that you have been struck off. Right. Yes, I've, I, I know this is... Um, 
in the ether. Um, there's a very simple answer to that in that uh, I haven't been struck off. Uh, you technically cannot be struck off if you've never been struck on. Um, so what you're saying is that you were never a qualified vet. I'm a vet. I'm, I'm a vet down to my very marrow. I just uh, I just went the old-fashioned route and very much uh, there was a lot of self-teaching, um, a sort of there was a, you know, an apprenticeship on the on the streets on on the on, on the farms, you know, as a as a young lad. Um, you know, I, I was interested. And I started out practicing on uh, on, on moths uh, and wasps, and I just sort of built up to bigger and bigger animals. You know, kids at school would be taking part. You know, the dad's car or transistor radio. I'd be taking part of all. Okay, and uh, but just to be clear, you, you've never been to veterinary college. Well, the fact that I've never been to a so-called veterinary college, although I would say the world is a veterinary college, has led me to doing quite extraordinary things and getting much more experience that your, your typical, your sort of spoiled brat, little middle-class student isn't getting. They're sitting in their lectures, okay? I'm up in the Andes doing a, a shin transplant on a golden eagle, okay? That experience is invaluable, so your practice over the past 15 years, you, you've been earning money as a vet. Yeah. And you wouldn't say you've been putting anyone in danger. You've not been endangering animals. Listen, there's in, in any sort of medical practice, there are always going to be individuals, cases that don't go completely to plan. It's, it's, it, there is a science element to it. There's academic rigor, absolutely. But there's also a degree of artistry, and that has to be learned. And, you know, there will be collateral damage in the creation of the perfect vet. And for some people, that collateral damage will happen in a supervised setting, in a veterinary hospital, where someone can step in and you can relax and you don't really learn anything then because someone's sorting it out for you. Or, in my case, you're sorting it out yourself, okay? It is you that is taking that snow leopard and trying to work out how to put its hind legs back on. And necessity forces you just to get on with it and get it done. You get on with it. You learn all sorts of lessons about about yourself, about the, the hinges on the back of a snow leopard. It's it's a wonderful way to learn. There were there were rumours, as I say, circulating around the the pig run. I spoke to a farmer called David Pope. Oh yeah, David Pope has a herd of cows that he put in your care. Mm. He described to me there was trouble with one of the bulls. With its anus, so he called you in. You said, "Leave me alone here to deal with this problem." Yeah. You shut him out of the barn. Yeah. What maybe you don't know is that he stayed at the door, listening through the barn door. Oh. And he could hear you inserting your hand into the anus of the bull, and then he very clearly heard you say, "What the fuck is this?" Right. What the fuck is this? Okay. Okay. Well, we've all got a catchphrase, haven't we? It's my way of getting into the vibe and re reminding myself that I'm, I'm an eternal student. Okay, well, even if that's true, what, again, you probably don't know is that Mr. Pope then called in a second vet for a second opinion once your work had been done. Right. Upon putting his hand into the cow's anus, found a credit card, uh, your credit card, which, mm -hmm. you'd, which you'd left in there. Right. I, well, uh, okay. So, they, I mean, they're going to give it back because I have been looking for that. And I was pretty sure I'd lost it in my car, so I haven't actually cancelled it. So I would like that back. That would be quite useful. I th well, I think that's besides the point, really. Isn't, Is it? Oh, isn't, right. Isn't the point that there's a man there who's entrusted his most loved animals to you yeah. and you've used its ass like an ATM? 
What, not, what, what's, what harm is a cow going to come to if you leave a, a credit card into it? Were you hoping money credit would card come out? It's made of plastic. Were you it's hoping that current, inert... hard currency no, would come out? No, I mean, a, what, is a, what is a cow if, if not a, a, an enormous living, breathing pre-wallet? Okay, so if there's any animal you can leave a credit card in, it's a cow. A cow would have come to no harm whatsoever from that. I've got a quote here from the president of the London Veterinary College. Right. I contacted him to see if you'd ever studied there, as you claim on your website. He confirmed that you hadn't studied there at all and also said that having looked over some of the evidence that I put to him, that he was concerned that you seem to always revert to the same treatment or or pattern of observation with every cow. So whatever problem is presented, you tend just to put your hand up the cow's arse. Yeah. And that seems to be the end almost of, of what you're doing. Well, if it ain't broke, where am I meant to put my hand? I'm not going to put my hand in its mouth, am I? I might, might bite my fingers off. But if it had a mouth problem, wouldn't it make sense to put your hand in the mouth? I think, well, the mouth is connected to the anus. I mean, that's absolutely basic anatomy. Right there, it's just one long, quite convoluted tube with some stuff in the middle, right? But anything that starts in the mouth is going to... It's only going one way. Put your hand up the ass, see what you can find. The president of the college, though, was saying that what you would seem to have done is basically boiled down what is a very complicated and learned profession down to a, a single... Physical action, which was simply yeah, well, he was shoving your hand he, into he, the he would say that, wouldn't he? But so what? he's he's high arts, isn't he? You know, with his college and his professor and his his titles and all that, the letters after his name and the title before his name and all this kind of stuff. It's it's just dick swinging, right? It's pointless. So you're saying that if I'm he was being more honest with with the public, yeah, he would. You could go to veterinary college, it would last 10 minutes, they'd say, just put your hand in. You just need to get on with it. You just It's all common sense. Out you go. I'm, I'm the craftsman, I'm the apprentice, the self-trained, you know, at most artisanal veterinary surgeon. There, he's, he's in his little shiny garret, you know, talking about blood tests and skin scrapings and DNA and all this kind of stuff and, and antibiotics, for God's sake. I'm actually out there at the coalface, so to speak. The arse face. The arse face, yeah. More from Bob later. But first, as the network's financial difficulties continue, we made an offer to network members this month that for a small fee of £40,000, they could advertise their own businesses by leaving a message on the Beef and Dairy Answer phone. So far, only two have come forward, and here they are. Hiya, Peter. Thank you for the opportunity to tell your listeners about my meat business, Pete's Meats. Perfect for all your meat needs and the only butcher in the West Wales area who sells glands. Glands of all kinds. And on Fridays only, we stock the famous Pete's Meats BLT sandwich. Bacon, lettuce and tomato, no way, you're having a laugh for now. Ball, bud, liver and tongue. Ideal for a kid's party or your last meal if you're on death row. Also... Do feel free to call in for dietary tips. Personally, I've exclusively eaten meat and glands for the best part of 50 years. And yes, I have got heart disease, but I prefer to call it my handshake from heaven. So, remember the name, Pete's Meats. Look for a caravan in the field on the right by the Abergwilly roundabout. It may look abundant, but I'm in there with my meat and glands. And remember, a food standards agency hygiene rating is nothing more than a guide. Bye! Hello. Are you sick of getting really nervous before a presentation? 
You know the figures. You've researched the project, but your mouth goes dry and you can't contribute the figures in the meeting situation because you're nervous about public speaking. I can help you if you have that problem. Public speaking is a phobia, make no mistake. It's bigger even than the fear of a crab with the face of a clown coming at you in the morning. I'm Paul Shilpot. I'm an actor with five years of experience in acting over a career with five years. Do you feel scared or intimidated? Do you sometimes struggle to put your hand on the right phrase or saying or the thing to say in a situation that's the exact perfect words that you need to say it? Make that next presentation really knock everyone's off their socks. I'm Paul Shilpot. I'm Paul Shilpot. I can give you back that confidence that you think has been taken away. Call me. Call me on Paul Shilpot at paulshilpot.co.uk. I can organise various passages, uh, various packages. There's a Supreme Deluxe package, also known as a presidential suite. £58 for a session with me. Going down from that, there's a normal package. It's £50. It's, or, if you're entry level, there's the... Um, there's the... Starter package. This time it's £48. I'm Paul Shilpot. Smile on a better day now, okay? Bye. Thanks to Pete of Pete's Meats and, of course, Paul Shilpot. More after this. It's a new year, the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash beef makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash beef. That's ziprecruiter.com slash B-E-E-F. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's ziprecruiter.com slash beef. Slash beef. Slash beef. In a world where meat was banned, only one man could stand up to the state. Slash me? Yes, that's me, slash beef. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. me. I've got something to tell you. What is it? Okay. I'm pregnant. We're going to have another child to replace Glendermen. We don't need to replace Glendermen. No, I, I know we could never replace Glendermen. It is my belief that this discarded bag, which once contained salad, holds the spirit of Glendermen. How can that be true, Slash Beef? He's not even dead. He was taken away by the government. <laughs> well, I think it would be nice to have another child, Slash Beef. Come on, Salad Glendermen. I believe you're real. Slash Beef, I-, I don't think you're very well. It's just a bag. Don't listen to her, Salad Glendermen. Slash Beef? I know what I am. I know what this bag is. <laughs> Glendermen! We're having another child, Slash Beef. I'm Slash Beef. ZipRecruiter.com slash beef. Now let's talk a bit more about um, how this all came to a head. Now obviously rumours were going round, but there was a reason that you weren't there at the annual Ken Bicton and Mr. Absey Memorial Pig Run. And that was because the 
the people organizing that in the town there had caught wind of what happened, I think, during your your recent television series, really, right. which was where this began. Bet in a helicopter. Bet in a helicopter, that's yeah. right. Now, for any listeners who aren't aware of the show, can you just... Oh, it's a great show. Um, very simple format, really. We managed to get our hands on a, a decommissioned RAF Chinook helicopter, and uh, I'd fly about the countryside looking for farms. People might phone in and give us tip-offs of someone who might need some veterinary assistance. And we just zoom in, oftentimes when the farm was out and so they didn't even know we were coming at all, but we'd always surprise them with our great big Chinook. The look on their faces would be magic. And then we'd land in, um, in, a, in a blur of frenzied veterinary activity. I'd sort out all their cow-ass problems and, uh, and off, we'd, off we'd pop again. Well, that um, sounds great on the, yeah. on the face of it. And, and obviously... I was excited to watch it. Many people I know were excited to watch mm. it. And it and it did broadcast. But there was building criticism of the series as it went on, uh, mostly to do with the fact that every time you landed the Chinook helicopter on a busy pasture, you took out 10 or 15 cattle. Right. But as, I, as, I've, as I've said many times in my life, it's, a, you know, veterinary practice is all about lifelong learning. Okay. And no one's done this before. No one has done... Veterinary practice, emergency veterinary practice in, in a Chinook. And what we learned is that cows, actually, when they're in a pasture field, there's something about the, the shade of a cloud that they enjoy. As a cloud is moved around by the wind, they, they enjoy the shade and they will move with that shade. And un- unfortunately, they, they can't tell the difference between the shade from a cloud and the shade from, from a Chinook. So you're trying to land the Chinook. They're just getting tighter and tighter into the shade of the Chinook and they're directly underneath it. And what are you meant to do? Right? Like you've got to land the thing eventually. And, you know, the, our Chinook pilots were great and they would try and, you know, swing about and, you know, but that would just get them more excited. And um, and so, yeah, we, we'd, we'd squash a, do- a dozen or so of them at least each time. But we helped more. That's not a reasonable thing to say, really, but... That's not a reasonable thing to say. We treated a lot of cows. We squashed a lot of cows. We treated more cows. Yeah, but what if you'd arrived... Do the math. What if you'd arrived in a bus Well, then, and treated the same number of well, cows? who's going to tune into that? Vet in a bus. Vets have been in buses for years, Okay. Fit in a bus, fit in a car, fit on a bicycle. Who gives them monkeys? That's not. It's not just about the treatment of the animals. It's it's entertainment, isn't it? You know, got to entertain. Got to be. We've got a chinook. We're going to bloody use it. Well, the, the biggest ratings you got were for episode four. Uh-huh. Uh, in this one, um, helicopter was landing at a farm in Northumbria when the rear gunner oh. started firing a machine gun yeah. indiscriminately at the cattle and some farm workers who happened to be there. So what? Yeah. What on earth happened? So this there? has been very, very misrepresented in the media. Okay, there was no rear gunner. What we had was a was a rear gun. Okay, it was some M two forty seven point six two millimeter belt fed machine gun. It was there when we got the Chinook. Okay, it looked snazzy, sexy as hell. We didn't employ anyone to be a gunner on it, but we kept it because it looked nice. It, um, it's quite a heavy duty piece of kit. Weighs about the same as a as a four year old boy. We just we just left it. Everyone knew just leave it well alone. It just so happened on that episode, the producers Josh had his had his son also Josh um, with us, uh, you know, for sort of bit of you know bit of excitement. But if he loved the previous episodes and he's a fan, along he came. You know, we're about to land, and all of a sudden, little Josh finds his way over to the trigger, and um, off he pops. He starts rattling off the machine gun. What are you supposed to do, right? It's a kid, okay, and he's got a very the, because I mean, because the gun weighs about the same as the child, who's now the gunner. 
He's got very little control over it. He jams his little hand in. His hand gets caught in the trigger guard, okay, so it keeps firing. He's swinging about. It's, it's, a, it's like a bucking bronco, basically, but one that is firing out very heavy caliber bullets at phenomenal speed and a great rate of fire. So it was absolutely deadly, and we're thinking, what are we supposed to do here? We were initially going to try and just sort of wait for him to run out of bullets, but it was absolute carnage down there. He'd wiped out quite a lot of cattle. At least four generations of a single farming family uh, were wiped out. A couple of ramblers got it, and eventually we thought, no, we, we've just got to stop this somehow. Shouted up to the, the pilot of the Chinook, who came up with a very good idea in the end, and he, he, he sort of tipped the Chinook upwards... So the, the, the rear gun was just, you know, the arc of fire was now just directly into the ground, just sort of pounding into the carcasses of the cows the boy had already killed, and he sort of wiggled it about, and that actually loosened Little Josh's grip, and he fell. Um, and obviously the gun stopped, so he was fine, and he landed on a big old pile of cows that he just shot. So he was physically unharmed. And, and also, um, interestingly, psychologically, completely unblemished as well. Um, so he was he was tested afterwards. He was fine. Um, so his, well, his dad is now having him tested to see if he's a he's a psychopath, um, which is be interesting. Um, so the thing is, you know, from yeah. that from that description, and, and if that all is true, yeah, then you know you could question the wisdom of keeping a, a an undecommissioned machine gun on a Chinook being used primarily for veterinary purposes. But that aside... It's common sense, isn't it? You leave it alone. Sure, that doesn't necessarily sound like that was your fault. Mm. But then, you know, why was that footage then broadcast on, on a Sunday evening on Channel 5? That's just basic media games, right? ITV was showing The Mummy Returns. How are you going to compete with that? You show the footage. You tune in, you see a four-year-old cutting a rambler in half with an M240 machine gun. I mean, you know, there's your water cooler moment right there. What was amazing, really, to me, was that after that episode was aired and and all the criticism that garnered, Channel 5 continued to to play the rest of the series out. So, of course, we had episode 5, which was quite uneventful by comparison. Then episode 6 comes along. Now, this one actually was never broadcast. No. Um, lots of rumours about what were contained on the tapes there of episode six. The rumour being that episode six was shown to one of the commissioners at Channel 5 and they actually had a heart attack. But that just goes to show the power of the footage. We wanted to try something radical. Are you familiar with the film Inner Space, starring Dennis Quaid? I'm not. Uh, So in that film, he plays a a test pilot, astronaut-type figure, and what they want to do is they want to miniaturise him uh, in a tiny space capsule, and then inject him into like human beings to sort of treat stuff, which just is such a lovely, simple idea. And you know, people are miniaturizing things; it's a real thing. So we thought, can we do that with veterinary medicine? Is it possible to miniaturize a vet? Uh, so you a minute you miniaturized yourself? Well, we that's what I wanted to do. We didn't really imagine that we'd achieve it, but we wanted to give it a go. So we dedicated the episode to that. And we had a uh, one of our unpaid runners, a uh, lovely bloke called Alfie, his first telly job. We tried out with him. We managed to rent this. Uh, we went off to Belarus and uh, were able to rent this uh, sort of industrial-level centrifuge. So we tried that with Alfie, and he um, he he disintegrated immediately. And we act to the point where actually initially we thought we'd succeeded because we 
You can't see anything. It's, it's just a blur. We switched it off. It's slowed down. Where's Alfie? Oh, oh, oh my God, we've done it. You know, we're looking around with a microscope. And then eventually the production manager noticed that there were tiny bits of Alfie that were sort of spread in a kind of perfect circle um, all around the uh, the walls uh, behind us. Uh, yeah, so that, that didn't work. But again, it made for a terrific piece of television. Do you think that footage will ever see the light of day? I certainly hope so. I know that Josh, my producer, he did after we had he had, we had a bit of a ruckus, obviously, with the channel after showing it to them, and uh, in his uh, in a in a fit of anger, he he emailed it to WikiLeaks, which um, which apparently is the the, the real reason that uh, Sandra's gone completely crackers. Now, despite all those things that I've, we've just we've just spoken about, and and people were talking about that at the, at the pig run, talking about the rumours about what you'd done, all this kind of stuff. People were saying that's the reason why you're no longer practicing as a vet. That isn't actually true, is it? Because it, it wasn't at this stage that the authorities caught up with you. Now, obviously, you've never trained as a vet. Well, I mean, well, you haven't. I, well, I've tra- I'm self. I'm trained. I'm self trained. I haven't. Yes, yes. I didn't go to an institution, and someone else didn't give me a piece of paper that said you're a vet. I gave myself a piece of paper that said you are a vet. Yeah. Okay. But let's talk about what it was that that meant that your credentials were checked, uh, and and thus official action was taken against you. The telly world is very small, and the first couple of shoot days of Vetna Helicopter had gone extremely well. We sent the rushes back to the channel. They thought it was great. Word spreads like wildfire, and I was invited to go on uh, Doc Swap. You've heard of, you're familiar with? Yep, big yeah. hit Doc Swap. Um, yeah. It's the well, it's when doctors of different disciplines swap jobs for, right. for the day. Exactly. And they got in touch with me and said, oh, would you be interested? And I thought, great. And I, I assumed that it was going to be, you know, a vet edition, a vet swap, and that I would be, you know, I'd swap with a, uh, you know, a bovine chiropodist or something like that. And they'd be doing the arses for the day. They'd be doing the arses for the day. Great. Lovely bit of fun. But no, it was, it was Doc. The, the producers of the show um, had made the quite extraordinary decision to, to, to swap me with a, with a doctor, uh, with a brain surgeon. And I had I had spoken to this uh, woman at the beginning of the day, and she was um, she was very very anxious. Actually, I was I was surprised because I was excited. You know, I like a challenge. So I asked her if she had any tips for me. You know, for starters, access. What am I doing? Am I just cracking open the lid here? Is there a particular point you can whack with a pin and it a plate of it pings off or something? I don't know. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's not, you know, it's not like opening the, the roof of a car or something. It's, you know, we, we actually normally go in for through the nose. I thought, wow, that's astonishing. I thought, well, hang on, this is good news, actually. Because if you can get to some part of the body through the nose, you can get to that part of the body through the arsehole, right? They're connected. And what do I know? I know arseholes. And it was, I was just starting the operation. And it was, the cameras are rolling, the nurses and uh, the sort of operating department assistants, they hadn't been filled in on what was going on. They just thought I was a locum consultant for the day. So it was only when I repositioned the patient and splayed them and asked them where they kept their stirrups. And I was on, on the cusp of uh, of that that first step of a thousand up the arse to the brain that uh, they started getting a little bit spicy with me. And uh, wanted to know who I was, and lots of questions, lots of aggro. Producers tried to step in; they were waving contracts about and permits. They didn't care about any of that, and um, they they forcibly ejected us. Um, but there was a lot of palaver. It took a lot of time to sort out, 
and all sorts of skeletons came out of all sorts of closets. And um, I mean, the producer of the, the vet swap thing, he's he's doing a bit of a bit of jail time now for for fraud and identity theft, uh, which is unrelated, but the fraud was. So it was a messy, messy, messy situation. You know, and throughout all of that, there's a 45-year-old man in a pair of syrups um, with his arsehole facing the ceiling of a Queen Square operating theatre. I guess the most important question is, how is he now? I don't know, actually. We haven't stayed in touch. I did try and uh, phone up the hospital, you know, to see what was going on, and I know my legal team did as well, but um, they're, they're under they're under no obligation to share patient information, even when you've been, you know, even when you've had your eyeball right up their arse, um, which I think is an odd system. Thanks to Bob Truscothic for that interview. It goes without saying that we do not condone what he has been doing, and I'm also duty-bound to read the following statement from the British Veterinary Association. Mr Truscothic, the charlatan in a helicopter, is not, and has never been, a qualified vet. This should be a lesson to all of us. It's not enough to see someone with blood up their jumper and cow shit under their fingernails and assume that they're a vet. Sometimes it's just someone with blood up their jumper and cow shit under their fingernails. There is more to being a vet than sticking your hand up an animal's ass. Truscothic, in this respect, is more puppeteer than vet. Truscothic is a bastard. Truscothic is a stubbed toe. Truscothic is a disappointing final crisp in the bag. Truscothic is a tarmac garden. Truscothic is a rat in your wellies. Truscothic, why, you bastard, why? Truscothic! Thanks to the British Veterinary Association for that. Also, DocSwap continues. This week's episode features a physiotherapist mistakenly prescribing so many steroids to an elderly woman with a chest infection that she grows strong, leathery wings. Unmissable stuff. So, that's all we've got time for this month, but if you're after more beef and dairy news, get over to our website now, where you can read all the usual stuff, as well as our off-topic section, where this month we interview South American music star Ricky Martin in German, a language he doesn't understand. So, until next time, beef out. Thanks to Mike Wozniak, Ellis James and Henry Packer. Also, thanks to you for listening. And I just want to let you know about a new podcast made by Mike Wozniak. So you've just heard Mike Wozniak there playing Bob Truscothic. He has been in so many episodes of Beef and Dairy. Um, Loads of my favourites. He's in the first ever episode. If you've heard the podcast, you know that he is brilliant. And he's now got his own podcast. It's called the St. Elwick's Neighbourhood Association Newsletter Podcast. I'll say that again. St. Elwick's Neighbourhood Association Newsletter Podcast. St. Elwick's is spelt Saint, the shortened version, S-T, Elwick's, E-L-W-I-C-K, apostrophe S. Neighbourhood, spelt the English way, association, podcast. Like this one, it's a bit hard to describe, but maybe all the best podcasts are like that. But basically, uh, it's the podcast of a character who used to run a newsletter for his local area, and due to, I think, money problems uh, and the cost of printing, they're no longer doing a newsletter. They are having to do a podcast instead. And it's a kind of 
it again, it's hard to explain. It's really, really funny. A couple of the episodes so far have featured Henry Packer, who you'll have heard on this a lot, who plays the poet Michael Banyan. And the episode that's coming out this week, if you're listening kind of soon after this episode gets released, uh, features someone called Benjamin Partridge, who I've heard is a real hot prospect. If you like Beef and Dairy Network, then you're definitely going to like St Elwick's. So give it a go. Nearly two decades ago, Commander Data sacrificed his life. The greatest discovery is also about Star Trek Picard. Jesse Thorne won't let us stay on the network unless we do all the Star Trek series, and so here we are. Doing a show about maybe our favorite Star Trek character of all time. If you're excited to watch the new Star Trek Picard series and you'd like some veteran Star Trek podcasters to watch it along with, we're your guys. Sorry you're stuck with us. The hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy? So subscribe to The Greatest Discovery. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Or at MaximumFun.org. Hey, I'm Aneke. And I'm James. And together, we are the self-proclaimed wonder twins of podcasting and host Minority Corner. We tackle subjects like LGBTQ topics, pop culture. And untold histories of American POCs, like the true story of escaped slave turned pirate turned Navy man in the Civil War turned congressman Robert Smalls. Plus current events from our perspective. Deep dive movie and TV reviews. You'll also get awesome book recommendations from their neighborhood-friendly librarian. Don't forget my award-winning Jennifer Hudson impressions. And I'm telling you. While never taking ourselves too seriously. Minority Corner. Because together. We're the majority. Every Friday here on Maximum Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.